dealing with that one asshole co-worker that you always hated. Did's feature, please. A hateful voice for the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-misfit, Peter. Peter, before we start talking about this week's episodes, we have gone a little bit without offering our round of shoutouts to not only uh, some of the people that have helped our show become what it is, uh, but also different ways that our audience can interact with us, which we d- desperately enjoy. The first, uh, we always have to make sure that we uh, genuflect at the altar of Ian and Sarah, the lovely couple that created our theme music, which is a bad recorder version of the uh, Voyager theme made just for us, as well as the the hit follow-up we've used on occasion, which was uh, the Inner Light version <laughs> from TNG. How did I not mention that cover of Inner Light as one of the three best things that came out of Picard? See, this was this was uh leading into the fi- next point. That discussion happened where? At the Vijay Please Trauma Support Group, which is our Facebook discussion group. Uh, we love all of our Vijay Please Trauma Support Group members. We enjoy all of the hot takes that they offer us, the Trek-related memes, the discussions. It's actually been 99.9 percent awesome the entire run of the show which is kind of crazy when you think about it. it's a like a hundred plus people that do not know each other for the most part but have managed to to build a community we um, live in a post-scarcity society in podcast world where we do not operate on money and joe and i uh do all of this uh not for financial gain but for lulls and yes, we get and- our return lulls through uh, shitty memes and poor intentioned jokes, <laughs> malicious jokes. Uh, some shit lording foreigners, <laughs> you know, like we, we got it all, man. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you are a listener of Egypt, please, and you're like, this sounds like a rad group of people that I would like to interact with. <laughs> we welcome you. It is a private group only because we respect your timeline and the fact that you don't want your grandmother to see this uh but you can find us feature please trauma support group there's a link through our major uh facebook page our main facebook page which is just feature please and uh we'll happily approve anybody that wants to to join just be cool uh and then lastly the other star trek groups out there are real hard to stomach and sit through for the occasional good meme so what i enjoy is when people steal the good stuff out of those bigger groups so i don't have to be in there and they bring yeah. the, the savings to us like if if you're someone who's willing to uh sort through star trek shit posting on our behalf <laughs> we thank you Rough uh, and then lastly uh we have a patreon uh we do have some expenses for the podcast that we look to cover and we appreciate everybody that is on that Patreon uh, so that we can do that. And uh, to offer a thank you to them, we do Patreon timed exclusive podcasts, one of which is up right now, which is our review of lower decks. Timely uh, mention of that. Yes, given the episode we're about to talk about topical as well as occasional mini uh, episodes and discussions that Peter have on other topics. Uh, in fact, we're probably going to upload you know, 10 minutes talk about VR here shortly. So uh, if that would interest you and you want to top a couple, toss a couple dollars every month in a kitty so that we can keep them server uh, fees fed, uh, we would appreciate it. And on that note, Peter, what episode did we watch this week? Season six, episode 20, Good Shepherd, or uh, as you pointed out at the end of last podcast, the literal lower decks. Yes, this is Voyager's version of the lower decks episode. Uh, I think it's great. The entire concept of this of this episode is well put together from the start. And 
he has a has a couple flaws on his execution late, but not much to really complain about as far as I'm concerned. Really like it. Yeah, this uh, checks a lot of my boxes. It's a slice of life episode. Um, I think the stakes are appropriate to the risks that we're taking here. Uh, we're getting background actors. I'm going to go on a ledge and say we're never going to see any of these people again. Uh, that's not exactly a perilous ledge for Voyager. I know. And it, you know, ch- chalk that right up with the uh, Klingassians over in Dragon's Teeth. Like, you know, one of the rare times you've had a one off episode that's clicked really well. Like, why, why not? Why not? Just You could have grew your own Barclays in house, you know, like. I don't think there's any of these characters I would have necessarily been upset if I saw them on screen again. Um, so squandered potential, you know, the the byline of Voyager. But uh, no, this was great. And I would say it's right up there with Lower Decks uh, next gen episode. I didn't really take a ton of notes on this because it's a pretty straightforward episode, uh, not you know, crazy fringe sci-fi or anything like super intellectual, but seeing Janeway walk around in parts of the ship where she didn't know the way. (laughs) Well, we can I, before we, this might be worthy of a discussion point all on its own, actually. So there's a scene in this episode where Janeway goes all the way down to the lowest deck in the ship, clearly looks confused and a crew member directs her to where she's asking to go. Okay. Did that conversation seem weird to you? I, I'm asking you before we discuss. Did it seem odd, stilted to you? Yeah. Uh, I I wouldn't say it felt odd, like out of character actor issues. Odd. It it felt very out of place for Janeway to be unfamiliar with her ship, and then like like seeing someone you haven't seen since like high school, like, Oh, Hey, hi, what's, I don't really want to be around you and you don't really want to be around me. So let's just, okay. See you later. Bye. Uh, Did you look up who that actor was? No. Would you like to know who that was? Was it a crown prince of some other godforsaken place? It's the crown prince of late nineties rock and roll tom morello the lead guitarist of rage against the machine and audio slave i'm oh, not really? fucking with you that is who that was how he, is that uh, not in the memory alpha i have no idea why that's not called out in more detail because uh he is a huge trek nerd he was actually an insurrection as a sona nice and and rick he just was like he just pestered rick berman to be in, in the voyager as well so that that was Tom Morello. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't think it was like bad acting or it, it felt like it was supposed to be just the captain's not supposed to be in the butthole of the ship. Uh, I must be in trouble and I'm going to be real. But that's why they, they like made a point of having dialogue there. <laughs> like it's because that is that was the special guest star. Cool. <laughs> A- anyway, so. Let's let's get into the episode. I agree with you. This there's a lot to to unpack here, a lot to enjoy, um, a lot of creative CG work, um, a lot of a lot of creative just structure. The teaser scene is the perfect example of the care that went into creating this the craftsmanship because it's an entirely different kind of take. It's probably one of the more inventive teaser pre-credit sequences I think we've seen certainly on this show. 
and it starts with a di- entirely different CG shot of Voyager coming from uh, towards the camera. Yeah. And as the camera zooms in on the ship, instead of it cutting to the inside, it actually is zooming in slowly into the window bay of the ready room. And I probably watched this, this little part maybe four or five times to catch it all. You can actually see the mess hall on deck two and people in it. You can see that there's like some other kind of like quarters below it on deck three. You can see things in the windows and people moving around and things happening on the ship in the other windows that aren't on. In Is this focus. like a crazy expensive thing to do? Because you never get this kind of stuff. It's so cool. And yeah, it looks a little hokey, like when it does zoom in on the ready room. But whatever, man, it's 90s TV. It's innovative. And and I thought it was really standout. I watched it multiple times myself. This is a telepay by Dina Gitto and Joe Manowski, directed by Rick Colby. And I've listened to a lot of uh, Delta Flyers. I find Robert Duncan McNeil's insights into directing um very fascinating and hearing his his as an accomplished director himself hearing his opinions and input on the various staple directors they had around voyager has it's interesting like you and i watching this show under a microscope taking notes and everything else like the the writers and the directors are just as much characters in the show at this point uh as as tuvok or neelix you know um, and it's been a while since we've had anything out of Rick Colby. So this this was a strong one, I think, for him to come in on. His previous episode was Dragon's Teeth, which we liked. We just hate the fact that it went nowhere, right? Waste like, of everybody's fucking time. Yeah. A fucking rad episode that was meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not his fault. It ended up being meaningless. But yeah, the the directorial care in this is pretty evident and teasers the best example. And what you kind of get from after you get the zoom in shot is the life of a captain's command. Uh, Chicote comes in. Hey, we're going to go buy a star cluster. What do you want to do? Oh, let's get the Delta flyer ready. We'll send the flyer to check it out and let's get some scans going. And then you see Chicote go onto the bridge, relay that order to Tom and Harry, you know, Tom for the Delta flyer, Harry for the sensors. Harry wants to start doing the sensors, can't get good enough resolution, calls down to seven of nine, saying, can I get better resolution on the sensors? Seven of nine is like, okay, got it. Let me put this information in this pad. I'm going to give this pad to who we will find out is one of our key characters for this episode, a uh, Bajoran woman uh, named Celis, who I was able to remember because Celis is a character in Final Fantasy Final Fantasy Fantasy Six. Three. (laughs) <laughs> and uh she she takes the pad she goes down to engineering she gives the pad to uh to torres torres is uh we're gonna have to get more power to do this gives this pad to, to another guy that guy goes all the way down to deck 15 this bowels of the ship the the steampunk part of voyager and finds some dude in some corner who does obviously does not want to be bothered <laughs> and says press some buttons and then he does it <laughs> And then you get the camera coming back on the window that he's looking out of at the very bottom of the ship after you started at the very top of the bridge. It is wah, perfect. 
It's also symbolic of of, you know, the 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 side of Voyager you don't see, you know, that everything below just we, we've always focused at the top. And now this is going to be a story about the literal lower deck. So we get back from commercial break. We actually open on what I guess they're hinting at is a more than friendship between Celis and the third member of the misfit trio who we'll find out is uh, named Billy, Billy Teller. And Celis is trying to work on sensor analysis and is, is really like struggling with it and trying to get Billy to help. Billy's like, we can either uh, go to the mess hall and talk this over because I'm not doing this via com badge in the bunks <laughs> waking everyone the fuck up or we can do it tomorrow morning. Uh, this does remind me, these are all crewmen. They're not officers. They're not ensigns. No pips on any of those no, turtlenecks, which it was, was a beef I actually had about with, uh, with lower decks, the show that I forgot to bring up, which is, they seem to suggest that the lowest ranking people on the ship are ensigns, which is not true. Ensigns are officers. They do some live in, in bunks or with roommates, but they are they command enlisted people, which is what they are, essentially. Crewmen, chief petty officers like Chief O'Brien, they all it's the military structure. No matter how senior an enlisted person is, the most junior of officers technically outranks you. Uh, but that's better, actually better established here. These are people who are lower on the chain than the ensigns that we saw in TNG Lower Decks or even the uh, the main characters from the Lower Decks show. These are these are the grunt grunts. Which is interesting because some of these guys are extremely well accomplished. Uh, Heron, who is a complete bitch uh, to the point where it was almost painful for me to watch him the majority of this episode. <laughs> But it was painful in a way where I'm like, I get it, though, because that is someone I've definitely met in my life. Dude, it's someone I used to work with, and, and I got a whole fucking thing to get in with him. But like, he, he is like the doctor at his worst point. Bitch wise, like the first couple episodes times six. Um, but, you know, he's sitting on what they said, four advanced degrees or something. Yeah. And it, we get a good backstory on on Heron because he says, like, I didn't want to be here, but I wasn't able to get into the institute that I wanted to get into unless I had practical space experience. So I signed up to be a grunt, you know, for a couple of years to to get what I needed on my CV so I could get this appointment that I wanted, which is like it reminds me of the Battlestar Galactica. There was a there's a great moment early in season one when all of the grunts who work on the flight deck are like talking about how they wound up in these, you know, situation where they're like on the run, you know, on Galactica and Callie's like dental school. I just, I wanted the fleet to pay for my dental school. You know, like you, you wind up joining up for you. I'm not a lifer. I've got ambitions, but it could be that I have a career ambition that makes a uh, stint in Starfleet as an as a crewman, as an enlisted person, got out in space and did some shit uh, more attractive. I thought that um, some of the jobs that these guys were being expected to do as non-officers seemed a little out of place, like Celis, who was really uh, seemed afraid of math and like complex equations, like putting her in astrometrics, like maybe she should have been a security person or 
and you know she'll kind of talk like the, the right position for me on the ship should have been a waitress in the mess hall but uh you know i i get it worked for the story they wanted to highlight her self-identified inadequacy and i really liked that story beat too you know when they ultimately each character has a moment where some part of their personality comes into play in dealing with the problem Billy Teller is a human and his problem is his hypochondriac. Well, he gets the he gets the fucking Barkley treatment where he actually winds up subject to some weird alien disease shit, right? And the information he's able to relay as a consequence is critical. And Celis, she is somebody that probably has strong intuition and some some skills, but she's not actually great at space math. She had to cram to get every uh, to to pass every test and as she points out, I'm a sympathy. I'm a charity case. I'm a Bajoran. No one wanted to fail me. That was and so good. Yeah, it's they set Starfleet set her up for failure by promote, you know, like not wanting to fail her out of this thing that she shouldn't have been doing. And because they wouldn't fail her, she felt she had to continue. So she felt trapped. So, yeah, she probably should have been like a security officer, but they didn't want to, like, degrade her by kicking her out of what she was doing because she's a Bajoran. They've already got it hard enough what a cool little note to hit with her character. That's a little on the edge, you know? Yes. Uh, and then the aforementioned, uh, bitch ass Heron, who, I, I don't know how you want to talk about this. You want to just go abstract. You want to kind of go through the beats of the plot. Let's talk an abstract. I think it's working for this. Heron's. Heron's character is that he's, he's too cool for school, right? Like I'm a scientist but I don't want to actually be an enlightened explorer. I think exploration is dumb. I want to I want to research. I want to do theory. I want to be in academia. But I had to sign up and I wound up on the one fucking ship that gets stranded in the goddamn Delta Quadrant. So uh, you're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. I have no respect for this organization whatsoever. And he's like even more rebellious than the, the damn uh, Maquis because he gives no fucks at all. Did... The, was the Dominion War already in swing when Voyager started? No, it was not. Dominion War did not start until two seasons, because uh, it was it had been season three of Voyager that Dominion War was going on, because it ended in because it was season six and season seven of Voyager is when the Dominion War was happening. Well, end of season five into season six, season seven. So yeah, when they left, I think they may have discovered the te- the Jem'Hadar by then, but the no Dominion War yet. So you've got people who do not really want to be Starfleet joining where the most dangerous thing out there is the Borg threat, which is still a pretty big fucking deal um, and and maybe should have dissuaded some of these people. But it's still relatively safe, so I can understand that. Um, Heron doesn't want a he, he feels he's too good to be there. He does not want to contribute. He's intentionally sandbagging his performance so he can be in the most easiest, mindless job possible so he can focus on non-work related matters. Um, And he does not want to integrate as part of the the ship and kind of keeps himself at this arm's distance from everybody else. This gives him a unique position in the ship where second, perhaps only to seven of nine, he doesn't really care what the captain thinks. And he like openly sasses her to like such an uncomfortable degree. You're like, man, wow, this guy's really cruising for a bruising. 
short of the most important line of dialogue that does not get mentioned, it's outright condemnation towards Janeway for being the sole entity responsible for stranding him there. There's a lot of talk of nobody wants to be here. We're victims of circumstance, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, we all know they're there specifically because Catherine Janeway made a decision. I mean, he even kills an alien life form in front of the captain against her direct orders. Like, I cannot think of a Maquis crewman who has crossed Janeway that explicitly and that brazenly ever. And here's this fucking guy who's such a piece of shit, who's just so not wanting to deal with anyone's crap that he's like, I know I don't want to die right now. Zap. (laughs) I'm going to zap this bug. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. I don't care. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You going to throw me in jail? You going to throw me in jail for 70 years? I know you're not. (laughs) Like he is the biggest piece of shit on a boat that wants the lawn suitor on it. He might've been a bigger piece of shit than Lon. Lon was at least turning his shifts in, in between brain and people. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't late. If he was late, he wouldn't be able to get his hands on the pipes. Lon wasn't scared of a fight. No, no, Lon, Lon was very prepared to do violence. This all comes up as the result of seven of nine doing efficiency studies. There's a pretty good scene. It's in the staff room where, uh, seven of nine is playing duck duck goose shitting all over the various departments from uh balana's problems keeping uh engine efficiency up to some problems with uh staff rotations in uh operations there's a fun line of dialogue where she says that Tuvox security is perfect, but he could still be arranging the phaser rifles uh in order of size to make it easier to get during an emergency. That was the biggest fucking line of the, I don't know, potentially the entire season, if not the entire show. Security routinely shits the bed. Tuvok is the worst. Seven is clearly having a secret sexual relationship with Tuvok and uh, is going easy on him. Well, if if that that plot point would make more sense than actual competence. <laughs> Although that does make me reflect on what we have talked about in the past, which is I would really love it. If seven, nine and two, like actually had a romantic connection in this show. Like that was actually a plot point that would have worked so well, I think, but alas, that is only going to be head cannon. No, the closest you get is uh, the tank girl episode of hell. Please don't remind me of that. You know, and and it could have just been, well, I want something physical uh, and you have an emotional relationship with your wife, but you're going to pawn Fargan. So we might. Yeah, like, yeah, I I would have been there for that. There could have definitely been something that would have been complex and interesting and different. Um, but yeah, sad, sadly, that is something they they never pursue. Yeah, that's but they stuck to the corners of fan fiction on the Internet. Yeah, listen, I'm super good at finding those corners if you would like me to to avail you, you of some opportunity. You and your Oculus Quest 2 are free to explore those <laughs> Borg uh, Vulcan fantasies in your mind's eye to your heart content. Janeway notes as they discuss these three misfits in the, the staff meeting that they've never been on an away mission. Uh, the Billy has managed to hypochondriac his way out of everything. Celis uh, is simply not competent enough. She can't pass the the proficiency uh, requirements to go. 
and Heron just like never raises his hand and is such a fucking asshole to deal with. No one wants to, to fucking make him. Uh, so Janeway takes it on herself and like, well, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to take these three out and we're going to see if we, they could, if I push them out the nest, they can fly. Um, I did like that. Chakotay noted like there are washouts on every cruise. There's some people who get into space and they are not, ha- they can't hack it and they get off the ship. You know, they get, get to near a star base and they are out. And it just so happens we got stuck with our washouts because we're in the Delta Quadrant and none of them wanted to get off on the 37th planet. So here we are. He makes the mention. Well, you know, you've got limited resources. And when you're Janeway, you simply refuse to bring any viable new crew candidates on. You know, you're stuck with what you've got. You've got a limited quantity. And to some degree or another, everybody's going to have to carry their weight. I was surprised to hear them even offer the idea of like, maybe we should just pull these guys commission and take them off the duty rotations and just let them go about their own business. And like thinking of just civilians on a ship as small as Voyager, red alerts and all that other stuff going off and just being like, yeah, I'm just going to chill out in my bedroom. No big deal. I think there's a line there where maybe he intended to say you relieve them of duty, not necessarily of their Starfleetness. So, okay. Celis, you, you're not working as a sensor tech anymore. Uh, what do you want to do? You know, let's let's figure out something you can do that you're better at, right? Um, maybe it's not something Starfleet in nature, but in an emergency, you can still grab a phaser and get whatever you need done, done, right? Maybe that's what he meant. It would be really weird to be like, yeah, you just haven't worked out, so uh, you know, take your clo- your 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 jumpsuit off and put on some discount African king outfits and hang out. I guess like you're off the schedule. Yeah, this would be awful weird to do in this circumstance. Like you're really condemning them to being pseudo prisoners with nothing useful to do. That would be very cruel. It does also, you know, especially when like Celeste starts expressing a lot of her self doubt. Um, Jane was like, you know, we can find you another job. And that's when she's like, I should only be a waitress, but like, yeah, if you got these people who seem miserable, uh, which, which, to be fair is only Celeste specifically, but like not fit for the line of work. They're in like keeping them in that position where you've got someone who doesn't want to be there doing that thing and is doing a bad job. Like that's some real shitty management, which is par for the course. <laughs> Janeway by a few episodes account. Uh, but yeah, man, rotate that person around. Celis seems like the only one of the three that's incompetent is her problem. Billy seems like he's perfectly competent. He's just a hypochondriac, right? Like he just, he just needs counseling. <laughs> he just, he just needs a therapist. Uh, and, and obviously Heron is extremely competent. He's just a fucking asshole. So they stuck him in a job that he'll do because he gets left alone. So Celis is the only one where you like really have to have a discussion of like, are you working out in this organization? You know? I like how the three characters, the interplay they have with their direct supervisors, uh, arguably the dumb one having the boss. That's the smartest lady in the world. Right. And it's made uh, her incredibly self-conscious. Yes. Uh, the Billy, you know, his his main pairing comes down to stuff with the doctor um, and kind of seeing Bob Picardo play off of him. Like he holds up his end of the scene very well with Bob Picardo, which is usually not the case because it's usually Bob and uh, 
Garrett, and we know how those go. Uh, <laughs> and then Heron uh, with with uh, Balana, who's a bitch, but Heron is a bigger bitch. And like when he <laughs> when he's able to like bully, harass uh, the temperamental Klingon into getting his way, like that's that's, that's power. Yeah, yeah, that's that's showing, not telling. Well, they also uh, show you quite effectively in the mess hall scene when Bolana and Tom and, and Neelix wanders into the frame to have his scene for the episode. And and uh, they're looking over at Heron, who's by himself. And you know, Tom's basically doing his, oh, it's, you know, he's needling Bolana a little bit. Oh, it's too bad he doesn't have a supervisor that believes in him. You know, all you got to do is give him a chance. And Bolana's like, yeah, you know what? Go fucking talk to him. Go ahead. When Go. Ethan Go. Phillips sat, when Neelix sits down at the table, I was so happy because you never see Neelix anymore. So like him popping on, I, it, it feels like a treat. And just like watching his face, there's a lot of subtle stuff Ethan Phillips does. And and I'm, I'm picking up on it more and more. It seems like he's laughing out of character as he's like kind of laughing in character. I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing, but like the... Like he knows what's up with Heron. He know that Heron's a problem, but Neelix isn't going to just be like, yeah, that guy's a piece of shit. Cause you know, he's a morale officer. He's not going to be like that. But then watching Bolana kind of like bait Tom into going into there and, and just knowing what's going to happen and just kind of smiling at himself about it. It was really excellent. I, I love that scene wrapped with Tom going over Heron being a complete bitch to him about math. <laughs> <laughs> purposefully emasculating his intelligence and then you, you paris just walks back over and uh sits back down and uh just says yeah i invited him over to watch our television tonight you don't mind do you <laughs> just and they just cut away after that that's it that's all you need to see there well done good direction great direction everyone did great in that scene 10 out of 10 good job i think that you know i know they're gonna end up getting married and having kids or whatever I think the more interesting story to tell with Tom and Bellana wouldn't have been like the ongoing blossoming romance minus timeless. No. Uh, what was the demon follow up? The, the metal people follow up course of oblivion yes. course of oblivion, man. Talk about I just, mm. pots, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about that episode. Her dying on the bed uh early in best scene they ever had together ever have and ever will have like that should have just been the end of that attempted plot line is just wow these guys are never going to fit as much raw genuine emotion as they just did with her dying talking about her honeymoon um i think they would have been an incredible uh yeah we used to fuck we still have to work with each other. So sometimes there's a little flirting, but it's mostly us being shitty to each other like this, like shitty, like they already are with each other, minus the pretense that they actually are supposed to like each other. I completely agree. That would have been a, a better spot. I, I hell, I got more chemistry off of Billy and Celis because what happens, Janeway has briefing pads and Billy is she's he's clearly into her like, yeah, they she's never fucking hot. Uh, granted but another they, 90s hottie voyager's they, raking them in dude they never address it directly in dialogue but they do a lot in kind of 
with the way they have the actors interact with each other, how some of the dialogue works uh, to, to suggest that the, at a minimum, he's into her and she's probably into him. Right. And there's more chemistry between the two of them than there is between Tom and Bellana. You know, like they're able to 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 force that into much more limited screen time with no setup better than the main romantic pairing for Star Trek Voyager. Let me bounce this idea off you. What if you would have put this early season six and then used any one of these three people for ashes to ashes? Oh, that have been so much better. Jesus. Yeah. It's like swap one of- Garrett out for Billy and uh, whatever his Canadian girlfriend was for Celis. Oh, that'd have been great. Yeah, yeah, like you have a certain circumstance here at the end where Celis bites the dust. Like she's the one that like sacrifices herself for the group instead of Heron. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have this big moment. It ends a lot like uh, the original Lower Decks episode where one of them bites the dust. Billy and Heron clean up their acts. They become better officers or better crew members. And then, oh, yeah, and then she comes back. And, oh, yeah. Oh, that would have been beautiful. That would have been amazing. Greatness is within reach of Voyager. All of the time, like you just simple shuffle of episodes, change some key components in one and and you could have had a terrific two part story arc. And you squander it. I don't. I mean, why, why do you think Ron Moore decided to make his own version of this show? And why do you think we loved it? Most of it. Uh, I've thought a lot the about the first two and a half seasons of it. <laughs> the pre Jesus Christ years. Everything up to when the Pegasus showed up. <laughs> mm, even Pegasus had some pretty strong points. Well, the, uh, the Pegasus episode was good. The Peg- the episode after the Pegasus episode was good. And then the ep- then that's when the, de- the decline really started to set in. <laughs> Fat Jamie Bambers was cool. Who <laughs> was very odd. He was so sweaty. I'm, I sweat. I'm fat. <laughs> do, you, do you know that he uh, he played one of the main detectives in the UK version of Law and Order? No. Yeah, it was very strange. I forgot he had a British. I forgot he was British. <laughs> a lot of those guys were British, but he was the one that had to hide it. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, so, yeah, that, you know, Janeway's like, hey, we're going to take uh, I'm going to get these guys out. And, the and, and that's and this is where Jadeway goes to the 15th floor uh, is like, oh, wow, I've never been down here before. Tom Morello shows up and this is how you killing in the name of and her you know. being <laughs> lost on the 15th floor. And we think like, man, what was it? Macroism where she's fighting the, the Langoliers like she's lucky those guys were just hanging out on the top part of the deck because if had she had to come down here and fight aliens, she would have been in some rough shape. That's a lot of like the fun of this is like seeing the ill prepared skittish non-heroes and just thinking like what are these guys what's going through their heads when, when the, the bad board, shit happens yeah like when the the once a pay period tragedy is striking and there you are in your little rat hole in the asshole of the ship looking out of your sad little lonely window on the belly which the only time this window ever appears on voyager is this episode which i thought was funny uh, but how are these people coping with these terrible decisions? And, and you know, back to my earlier point, if anybody should have called out Janeway, like such an opportune time to say, like, 
we resent all the complaints I had earlier, especially out of the mock key corners. But now you've got these three misfits. And again, Heron specifically, like lay into Janeway. This is her fault. This is her actions. Uh, you should be somewhere else smoking on a pipe and and being an intellectual. And said you're this grease monkey in the armpit of the ship. And it's her fault. We finally arrive at the kind of the main thrust of the episode halfway in when uh, the misfits and Janeway are on the Delta flyer and they are doing their space science thing, talking about taking their lunch break. Janeway is trying to, you know, be a, a good shepherd as she, she puts to name the episode. The the notion for people on a Delta flyer it takes two of those people to get lunch ready when you have fucking replicators. I found so offensive. And I, I love that. She's like, ah, yeah, I want Neelix's famous soup. Go have the replicator, make it. They make two cups of it. They don't even take her one. They just eat her fucking bowl of soup. <laughs> pasta soup. What cat what is hair it? pasta soup? Is, 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 we call, you know, what we call pasta soup, chicken noodle. Come on, guys. SpaghettiOs. <laughs> Neelix has a beautiful concoction he made called Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Bring me a bowl. I'm going to get it all over the console. I'm going to dump it on Tom Paris's head. It it provides a little opportunity for Billy to have a scene with Celis where Celis is like, yeah, she's checking every all of my work. I suck. I suck. I work with the smartest woman on the planet in the whole damn universe. And it makes me feel like a piece of shit. And also allows us to see like what a mega tur- mega turbo bitch heron is because janeway's like trying to small talk him about his home planet and he just immediately does everything in his power to be the most unlikable turd that he can of like where well, i grew up doesn't matter here see my neck beard as, as i do a standard just neck beard things meme in real time look at my pad i've listed all of my non-fungible music tokens Oh, have I told you about atheism yet? You <laughs> sheep. <laughs> you sheep. I bet you believe in God. <laughs> he is. God, you know, just go back to the uh, Komar and, and, and leave his ass down there. He'll be in good company. He's just the biggest turd. And what 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 really is amazing is you said you used to work with a guy like that. I've known people like this. This is a real fucking kind of person. This is yeah. not an invented person. Yeah. Like it does not. If you've lived enough life, you've run into fucking Heron somewhere in your life. You and if you haven't, head. you used a secret wish <laughs> to keep this wretch out of your life. And so as much as he's just the biggest turbo bitch on the planet at the same time, I'm like, yep, that's a fucking guy. That's a guy you're going to have to deal with at some point. And Janeway is stuck in the special hell of being the boss and having no power. You can't fucking fire this guy. You can't you can't get rid of him. You're stuck with this fucking guy. And she's trying to make the best of it, thinking like I all all he needs is better supervision. All he needs is someone to care. All he needs is someone to believe in him. And she tries and tries and tries. And all he does in every step of the way is is to not only reject it, but punish her for trying. <laughs> Yeah, jumping back over to Celis for a moment, like even before they had an opportunity to demonstrate that she's, uh, you know, her lack of confidence makes her job difficult. Like all I could think is like, wow, that's the first time I've seen anybody else in astrometrics other than Seven and some other member of the bridge crew, like 
how miserable it would be to have seven of nine as your boss. Even if you were pretty good to great at your job, you know, you're never going to hit like the adequate mark with her and just the, the workload expectation would be so unrealistic. Like that, <laughs> like <laughs> the, the resentment you'd have as a crewman be like, this job didn't even fucking exist until this lady made this room out of thin air with Harry Kim. And then they dragged me from whatever I was doing where I was happy and put me in this circular Borg torture chamber. I love, <laughs> I love having you report to someone who doesn't even wear a goddamn uniform. Yeah. <laughs> when Balana, when the order comes in from Astrometrics to engineering saying it needs more power, Balana's like, oh, what's our Borg queen want now? Like, I really appreciate the cattiness there. Like, she just, the fun part of the ship in a bottle format for uh, Voyager is no character. Well, I'm sorry. The bad part is no characters ever grow, but the fun part is uh, the fun parts of those relationships are always there. So Balana is just always at odds with seven of nine, no matter how many times they reconcile and, you know, come to terms. The space calamity finally hits the, the Delta flyer. They seem to run into something tears a piece of the hull off engines all fucked up. They lose like nine tenths of their antimatter and they try and figure out what happened. And Heron has a theory based on a paper. He wrote that Janeway read at one point, uh, not knowing it was him who wrote it, uh, which is that they were hit by a dark matter comet because he postulated such things have to exist. And these kinds of stellar nurseries and would be attracted to antimatter. But, of course, he's a turbo bitch, so he insists he must be right, and therefore they have to take certain certain actions, even though it's just a theory. So they continue on with the intention of trying to see if that's true, but don't follow any of his advice, which makes him very angry. Uh, Billy also finally gets his opportunity to shine when the space calamity comes back a second time, and unfortunately for him decides to whisk him away to fucking never never land and then bring him back except now he has a fucking chest burster in him yeah that scene where it pops out of his neck and there's like no blood or gore and like the little flap just zoops shut was uh, a missed opportunity this felt very lower decks the cartoon to me and that the space calamity is not the focus of the episode. It's the interpersonal play. Uh, and for being what extremely rare dark matter creatures, which ultimately you can never tell, are these things friends? Are they foes? Uh, what kind of war crimes are we doing? What kind of space yeah. murder is happening right now? Like all the stuff that would normally be a big focus of the episode is just kind of ignorable back like they might as well be villains in a uh, captain america movie like just so unmemorable and and that's my only i think real failing episode is that they don't really patch this together at all the episode just kind of ends they they sort of escape the calamity and then they're back on voyager there isn't a resolution to what they were really dealing with at all nor any sort of consequences for their actions right the space calamity isn't the story that anybody's interested in. And I do agree with you that that is the shortcoming here at the end. 
they've got a real risky move they're going to play where they're going to try and swing through some sort of irradiated rings of a planet and use it to jumpstart the warp drive so they can try and get back to Voyager. Uh, what had been a single space worm from Dark Matter, it, you know, first it's just a worm, then all of a sudden there's an invisible fleet of evil chasing the Delta Flyer or something, I don't know. And Janeway's like, hey, everybody get out of here. I'm going to do classic Janeway and basically blow the ship up and buy you guys some time. Uh, I order you to leave. And everybody's like, no, we're staying, except for Heron, who's a bitch. Yeah. So, and I leaves. Mean, so there, there is some them cool beats. We had this conversation where Celis confides in Janeway of like, I should have been flunked and no one wanted to. Although that cool scene happens. Billy kind of mans up through his crazy space disease moment communicates clearly talks to the to Janeway about what's going on gets critical information that he got telepathically on accident so like he shows like he can kind of a, like use his hypochondriac super hyper awareness for good which was a neat way to kind of tie it because he was the least developed of the three so that was a neat way to kind of like tie that up and then Heron the the thing pops out it looks like it's actually trying to fuck the ship up and Heron eventually just shoots it because he thinks it's a, a, a problem even though Janeway orders him not to and he gets chastised you know, he gets told this is why you don't have any fucking friends by Billy like he's beat you're a down. <laughs> yeah well like he gets beat down by everybody quite a bit at the end of the episode and he's starting to like just kind of be more quiet and kind of like grumpy to looking. be fair uh, where he gets yelled at for not having any friends by Billy. Like he's face first in some sort of like plasma conduit trying to do some, what looks like real dangerous and face burny things. And Billy's sitting there playing with a medical tricorner, like trying to make his dick bigger, whatever, <laughs> whatever slider he's playing with on there. And the guy's like, cut the power, cut the power. And then it almost like melts his face off. And he's like, Th- then they get into it and like, you suck and you don't have any friends gets thrown around, but Hey, listen, he's got to get his dick bigger because there's more flirty dialogue between him and Celis while he's got the space worm in him about getting a drink later, you know, like, did you catch that? Uh, yeah. He, he wants to give it the Chakotay treatment. Yeah. Like he, he, it's, he's looking at her while she says it, which I felt was like kind of like an indication of like, she's obviously concerned about him and he's cracking wise. I thought that was so kind of like a cool little moment. Like, yeah. And if we get through this, maybe we can get a drink, <laughs> you know, like. So, um, there, there's not this resolution at the end though. Uh, Heron says, I'm leaving. Uh, you get a, a view of him in the escape pod floating off. I have no idea what the, reference of sizes for that escape pod because the delta flyer i don't think is supposed to be huge so where it's been storing this what appears to be a massive it's about the size of a runabout so is it yeah it's a little smaller but it's about the size i don't know this uh, the the escape pod still looks uh way bigger than i thought it should have been uh heron has his last moment change of heart and decides that he's going to be the hero He's going to be the decoy to get the evil swarm to follow him instead of the rest of the crew, which he's trying to make up for his fuck up. Right. And he, he's going to, you know, take the ultimate sacrifice. Janeway flies a ship around. They beam him out just in time. There's an explosion. 
they all wake up in sick bay and it's like all right you've just set all these people up for massive character growth and we don't really have a chance to a realize any of that growth or like you keep bringing up hold anybody accountable for their space murders insubordination or anything else like yeah jane and you could just say jane could be like hey you know what? at the end of the day uh maybe that thing was malicious like they were trying to hunt us down and beat our asses so shooting it maybe wasn't the worst hypothesis you've had and and ha 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 and hey uh at the end heron sits down at the table with billy and Celis and has that drink or any of that stuff it's it's more janeway and uh good shepherd found her flock ha, ha, ha. you know roll the musics and and there was a lot more story to tell there uh and i wish that they would have gone into it more or picked it back up in a later episode which we know is not going to happen i'm happy to tell you that one of these three shows up in a later episode would you like to guess which one it's a 90s hottie obviously i mean never gonna miss i guess with that rick rick berman knows what's up <laughs> but yeah i mean i don't want to be down on the episode overall it's actually very good um as you mentioned greatness always in grasp so it is not great it is good uh, but i will happily take two good episodes of voyager in a row it feels like a a fucking absolute treat compared to what we've been exposed to these two episodes have been like that air bubble pocket in the video game levels that are underwater and you're like you're playing sonic the hedgehog and you got the choke out and you got to get up there and get that breath before you yeah it's been a rough season uh and these are very welcome i i don't know what if this episode and um child's play would have like been good episodes had they fallen in like season three season four Uh, i'd like to think that they would again i think that had they done this episode earlier in voyagers uh you know season three season four even season five like these would have been three great people to rope into some wild shit down the road and again given the number of times you've got like oh crew member died you're supposed to care like here's named people could have used them but whatever i thought that this episode did the lower decks thing in a way that was different enough from the way tng did it that it was cool and bonus points for excellent direction great teaser just all the small details were great lighting was really good in this one too like when heron's being a bitch sitting at his console and it's like real harsh lighting on one side of his face and dark on the other like really did a nice job making him seem inhuman all the small stuff was done quite well so what sets this apart from lower decks the episode to me is that in lower decks everyone is ultimately competent and uh and good and these guys suck (laughs) yeah they all suck and they suck for entirely different reasons and all have kind of compelling reasons why they suck, like not necessarily sympathetic. Celis is sympathetic. Uh, Heron's clearly not, but you get it, right? Like Heron doesn't want to fucking be here. He's bitter, you know? Mm-hmm. He was never he was never supposed to be out in space this long, and he's fucking pissed about it. You know, like Celis is a charity case, and she knows it, which is humiliating. You know, it's, it's all, it's all, all the small stuff is done good here. So yeah, watch this one. This is a good one. And what are we watching next week, Peter? We're going into season six, episode 21, Live Fast and Prosper. 
We got Janeway getting ready to brush her teeth and maybe take her uh, pills for the evening. She's got a towel over her shoulder. A clever trio of identity thieves claiming to be Janeway, Chakotay, and Tuvok make trades all over the quadrant and give Voyager a bad name. Voyager already gives itself a bad name, so <laughs> what are these guys really getting up to to further sully the name of the ship that has spared the Borg from annihilation thrice over? Memes aside about next door reviews... This episode is actually I it, it's in the same vein as the one we just watched where it's like this is a really really cool idea of a way to play with Voyager's specific circumstances and kind of shtick in a way that's unique and interesting and very Star Trek. Uh this is a Lavar Burton joint. Uh-oh. We haven't seen him since Redemption. <laughs> so aka timeless. Yeah, so the all-time best. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm interested to hear your take on if this is uh, maintains uh, that that redemption he is so so uh, desperately earned. But I like this one. I think this is another like cool premise that they deliver on. Well, do you feel that this episode that we just watched was a comedy episode? No. Do you think it had more comedy than the, an average episode? Maybe a little just a tiny bit, but not much. I would say Billy was kind of comical as a character, but I don't think it was a comedy episode. It was it, the parts that were kind of got like those smiles from me were not comedy bits so much as they were just clever, you know, like could you when, have done when Paris a- came, but when Paris came over to talk to Heron and Heron fucking absolutely chowed, you know like just jabronied the fuck out of him and sent him back to his girlfriend like that's not a comedy bit but it was funny putting your 90s glasses on could you have seen a star trek property a little bit like friends but phrased around framed in a live action lower decks type situation like this no no, I don't think that would have worked in the Friends style. Not 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 quite Friends, but you know, a lower decks click without being over the top Rick and Morty lower decks the TV show we have now. I I think there's something there that could have happened. Maybe you'd have to tone it down a little bit. You'd, it would have to be able to play it a little bit more straight than actual comedy. I think you'd have to kind of find a balance between the two. Uh, I think I see where you're going and I think you could have done something like that, but it would, it would have been a delicate balance. Cause you, you know, my beef with, with lower decks, the Rick and Morty version was it only got good once they actually toned down the comedy. Right. And they actually like dialed it into being more like star Trek, kind of like what happened with the Orville. Maybe that's actually the answer you're wanting to do the Orville. That's what you're fucking describing. But the Orville's still, you know, touching the heroes, not necessarily these these nobodies where you can tell the the less serious, a little bit silly, a lot more situational. I, I don't know. I I think whatever that could have been, I would have probably rather watched than Enterprise, which I didn't watch. <laughs> Speaking of that, a little tease. Peter and I are, are close at hand of finishing season six. And when we do, 
uh, we have dedicated to finally sorting out if we're going to watch DS9 or, or Enterprise for the show that will succeed feature, please. Uh, so if you have a, a horse in that race, you should probably sound off on the feature, please trauma support group or join and let us know or join our Patreon and let us know there. Uh, also, speaking of our Patreon, uh, we have decided on what we're going to do for our next special episode when it comes along, and that's we're going to watch the Battlestar Galactica razor movie specifically uh, i've owned because, this blu-ray for five years and i've yet to fucking watch i, I don't know the end of battlestar galactic was like so like bad it was just terrible I, it was one of so the worst you're, season you're just finales watching, ever. like one of those things you're just like hmm I mean, watching the Game of Thrones season finale has certainly learned <laughs> helped me appreciate <laughs> Battlestar Galactica so much more. Like, I never thought I would reach a day where I look at Battlestar Galactica's final episode and go, this is not the worst thing I have ever seen. <laughs> but I got there. I got there, buddy. I, wow. I made it. I've never seen those two uh, compared to each other. But yeah, that Game of Thrones really did just say, hey, hold my beer. Uh, but the Battlestar Galactic continuity movies of the two, uh, Razor is by far the best and actually just a good viewing experience for any BSG fan. Peter's never seen it. I have. Uh, so I, I we have decided, you know what? We always want to talk about Battlestar Galactic. It's got a connection through Ron Moore and the fact that the show was basically I'm going to make my own Voyager with literal blackjack and hookers. And so why not? Let's let's take the opportunity to do a little bit of a uh, Battlestar content. So uh, we'll probably fire it off within the next couple months. Uh, and uh, if you would like to be part of that, you should join the Patreon. And thanks to everyone who's listened to this episode on uh, good shepherd. And we'll see you next week. when We'll review live fast and prosper.